As we begin 2020, even that 2020 sounds so different, isn't it? And, and then we are reminded by so many people that it is not just a new year, but it's a new decade. So even during our Yucatan trip, trip, this message has been on my mind. What would God say to us? And what would be the, one of the most important things that we need to pay attention to this year, in this decade? And this message became so growingly important in me I almost felt like I need to do a mini-series on this. And the pushing back, but because of anniversary Sunday, we just couldn't do it. So maybe some, sometime in, in the uh, future, I'll do a three-part series on this. So I'm trying to keep it concise, uh, not to go over too much. There's so much uh, God has given me on this. But it's about church. It came from some deep, holy discontent. I was having conversation with um, a, a cousin of mine at our Thanksgiving uh, gathering, and <clears throat> oh, what church are you involved in? And and then he said someone, something like uh, the church attendance is not that important anymore to him. Um, and he's very sincere in his faith. And he's, he says sometimes we watch TV and sometimes we go on Sunday worship service, but some, the most important thing is that he pursue Christ. It's not the first time I heard. As a matter of fact, statistics tell us that majority of Americans, Christian church-going people, think of a church attendance as more optional these days. When I was growing up, Sunday morning you get up, there's nothing more important. No one is no more important to meet. Nothing's more important than the worshiping God. But about twice a month, that was the average. Twice a month. So as a pastor, some pastors have a different strategy. As much as we have this attention span short and people are coming only a couple of times on Sunday, we need to catch them with brilliant messages and prepare, sharpen our illustrations well. I don't have a clear answer, but I have a deep disillusionment about those growing movement among American churches around us. And I thought, as our church is really upholding scripture guidance, we consider not somebody's opinion, church's opinion, or expert's book, 
but God's word, scripture is supreme authority over our faith and conduct. So I opened up and Colossians chapter 1 fell on me. And the more I meditate on it, this becomes very strengthening, encouraging passage, providing guiding light for us. Before we delve into that, chapter 1, verse 3 through 6, as our moderator Jay read, uh, let's kind of have a quick overview of what church is and what church is not. First of all, church is not a building, but the people of God. Let's remind ourselves, I know this is a very elementary thing, but let's remind ourselves in the midst of this transitional time that we don't have our building and not even a consistent rented space, the church is still not a building, but people of God. Another scripture tells us that church is a household of God, God's family. Hence the reason why we use the expression crossway church, I mean crossway family. I love that expression because it is really true. And uh, in the epistles, uh, Apostle Paul addresses the church as a saint. The saints meaning is not a saint John or Saint Mary, someone who is so lived in a holiest way of their life. But this, it simply means every believer is set apart from the world for God. That's what saints or holy means. We are saints in that sense. Secondly, church is not a business enterprise, but the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 says that. But there is an inevitable overlap in this. Even just yesterday, I got a letter from the State Department, EDD, that we need to re- comply about our some business forms. So they consider churches like us, as long as we belong and we are legal and we have a... Uh, License uh, posted on our on a ministry center. Yeah, it it is. In a sense, that form of existence is there. But if you look at the scripture, it is not just a business or some kind of a operating thing that needs to attract the customers and make the customers, spiritual customers, to stay. It is the body of Christ. It's not the programs, but the different functions of each member working together and building the body of Christ. So, in terms of title, uh, some churches will have the head pastors, the senior pastors, right? But I don't even like that expression because it sounds like it's some kind of a human organization kind of thing. 
The scripture tells us that head of the church is Christ. This is never so-and-so's church. And Paul Kim is one of the members of the, the body. And my gift and role happens to be shepherding and teaching and leading the church. Thirdly, church is not a man-made organization, but the temple of the Holy Spirit. And once again, um, 1 Corinthians depicts that very clearly. And in a way, it, it, is, uh, it has a sense of the organizational structure, and we need to be organizationally healthy. And then American churches continually become more concerned about this man-made side of it. But today, I want us to pay attention to what Scripture says, and even our vision, or any church's vision, is not that different from anybody else. Why is that? Because unlike other human organizations, this institution, church, was created, initiated, formed by God himself, Christ himself. So because of that, the vision is already there. Suppose that we are on subject subsection of army of United States. And then we decide to be distinctive, so more creative. We come up with our own emphasis or vision. That would be ridiculous. Because under the Constitution, the, uh, the vision and goal and purpose of an army is already given. We need to follow, adhere to that. That's what we're trying to do this morning, I mean this afternoon. Could you notice this? This is an expression from Scripture in terms of Trinity of God, the people of God the Father, the body of Christ Jesus the Son, the temple of the Holy Spirit as a third person of the Trinity. But Colossians has a different angle to it. And that's why I was mesmerized about Colossians chapter 1. The, the key thing points out is the gospel. A church is not the fruit of human manifesto, but the fruit of the gospel. The gospel is at the center of the church. The gospel birthed a church, any local church. So with that in mind, let's read today's whole text. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, verse 3 through 6. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid out for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it 
and understood the grace of God in truth. Did you notice that? The gospel is bearing fruit and increasing. As it also does among you in Colossians, as also people of God in Orange, California for us. Later in that chapter, Apostle Paul mentions Epaphras. He was one of those converts when, when Apostle Paul was doing ministry in Ephesus. And later on, when he went back to Colossae, and he founded this church, and they blossomed. It all began because of he preached the gospel. Gospel is what? The grace of God in Christ Jesus that we are saved from our own sin and damnation through Jesus Christ by faith and faith alone and Christ and Christ alone. That simple faith in the gospel was the beginning of this Colossian church. So is ours. So let's never forget that. The foundation of our church is the gospel of Christ. The question that comes to my mind is not so much of a dogmatic way, but in a truthful way as we adhere to God's word as our supreme authority. When we think about our church, the true biblical church is a gospel-centered community. If gospel-centered community is clearly revealed, that's a healthy church. But if gospel is not the center, personality or cause or agenda, especially political agenda, could be the center. People's affinity, such as same nationality or ethnicity or culture or or hobbies, could be the center. Or life season could be the center. The gospel-centered community is a sign of a true church of Christ. And the question that comes naturally is, how do we know? How do we tell the, uh, this church is a gospel-centered community? In this passage, there are three distinctive essentials. This is actually Paul, Apostle Paul's favorite triad. And not only in this passage, when Coloss- uh, Colossians 1, but uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Ephesians 4, he uses this triad over and over. Here's the first one of the three essentials. Faith in Christ. First and foremost, a gospel-centered church is a community of faith. Okay, verse 4 again. Since we have heard your 
faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have all for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. The first thing is distinctively church, crew church, crossway church is a community of faith. Lest we think we think about very open faith in different things, it does not mean faith in anything. Just believe anything. All roads leads to Rome, the same, same salvation. No, distinctively faith in Christ Jesus. The faith in Christ Jesus is the one that delivers us and gives us new birth. Um, nor is it faith in, in itself, have just optimism and positive mental attitude. So that's why the gospel becomes the most important. When we hear the gospel, we put ourselves, our trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. And without this faith, we might have a big building, lots of people, fantastic programs. And we could put a gymnasium next to it too. We'll love that, right? But it is not church without this faith. And the natural question comes to how then shall we live out this year our lives as a community of faith? There are several passages, but I chose Galatians 2.20 as a key passage that will guide us to be a community of faith. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When I first became a Christian, this was a powerful verse. And not only I memorized, I just wanted to live by this. Here was a problem, though. I stopped paying attention to the whole passage. I just liked the first part. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. What a wonderful verse is this. I, I, I know I can, I would try, and I tried before, it doesn't work. So Christ lives in me. Somehow he, he will live out his life through me, mysteriously. So this mysticism stays on even 21st century. Not just me, many of you might be thinking like that. When we say life of faith or community of faith, it is not just a passivity that somehow God's sovereign grace takes over. 
We need to pay attention to the entire verses. The second part, but Christ lives in, lives in me, and he says, and the life I now live in the flesh. Didn't he say, I've just been crucified, I'm dead with Christ? And he goes, and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved and gave himself for me. To understand, let's make this really clear. Faith in Christ doesn't mean mental assent, agreeing with Christ. Christ is the Son of God. He died on, came to die on the cross for me and all that. And he has a power to give me, uh, enable me to live God desired the kind of life that he desires for me. Mental assent is not enough, but it means a union that he and I become one person. So there is a two aspects of this verse. One is a position. Positionally, or should we say legally, we're dead because the union made Christ's death on the cross became my death. I am dead because of his death became my death. He paid the penalty of sins. So also, he has given me his resurrected life in me. So I'm born again. New life is in me. That's position, legally. This is happened. But conditionally, the only way to, for us to experience Christ's risen life, the newness of his life, is when we surrender our lordship to Christ, which means he's using the word, I now live by faith. The life I now live in the flesh is the current state of salvation in, in our sanctification. So, in union happened, Christ died and I might, myself died and Christ has given me new life because of his resurrection. But this resurrection is not a complete resurrection. Why? Because our body has not been resurrected yet. We will have a glorified body. When Jesus comes back, we will have the resurrected body. Then consummation of our salvation will be there. But until then, we are to live by faith, surrendering our center, our lordship to Christ. You know what that means? If we do not live by faith, if I live by all the way things that I want to live, then I will not experience supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, the, the abundant life of Christ. Collectively speaking, if our church acts like we are all self-sufficient people, and we, we do whatever we feel like to do, away from the guidance of the Scripture, then we will not experience supernatural power and life of Christ. 
And this is the reason why we need to come together. Gather in our home groups and men's group and women's group and, and corporate church and worship together. Why? Because unless we are encouraging each other, our default mode is drifting away from God. Our heart gets cold. You know, this trip, and Yucatan trip, four of our members, of six except Stan and I, they're the new ones, never been to short-term missions before. So I just wanted to make sure that, that they will have wonderful experience, that they will not be scarred and go back and, oh, no, never we'll go back. No, I will never go back. And then many of you say, okay, see, I'm not going at all. And I thought many parts of important and just such an enjoyable moment were there. But at the end of the day, our team members share those are not the moments that impacted them deeply. It was the moment that when we heard very painful suffering stories and testimonies of missionary Lee's wife, missionary Joe, and we endearingly call her Donya Marie. You know, the Don Carlos, we are familiar with that, or the Latin words will be Dona, right? The Spanish has an Enya, so it's a Donya. Her, na- her uh, name is Mary, but Spanish way of saying it is Mari. Oh, we met Marilu there too. Um, when we hear this, the living by faith and encouragement with each other and community of faith, just six short days when we are leaving our rubbing shoulders with not only with missionary Charles and Mary Lee, but also the school staff and then our brothers and sisters there, we felt deep in affection and their love for, for us. And we feel that much closer to Christ. And our faith was strengthened. And it, I think it was um, D.L. Moody when he was approached by people after the crusade. And why, why do I have to church? I could read Bible at home. And he, back in the days, you know, that the furnace was there in the, in the middle of the cold winter. And he opened it. And without much words, he used the tongue to get one of the coals, taken it out, and put it on the cold floor. As the piece of coal was getting colder, it changes from bright, fluorescent red color to the dark black. 
And you could see the open door of the furnace, fiery, flawless, red, hot, coals together. He didn't even have to use the word to them, to the person who was asking them. Community of faith brings our heat to one another. We bring us closer to Christ. Oh, how wonderful it was for, for us to hear these students sharing testimony about Christ. And when we said, do you guys have any questions? Here is a lawyer, engineer, teacher, IT manager. Ask any questions. I thought they were going to ask about career question. And one of the students turned to us and said, how did Jesus change your life? I'm going to save those juicy stories for later because I'm going to spoil and I'm going to be in big trouble by our team. Oh, that was a powerful moment. That was a faith-heating moment. My heart is still warm because of that. Second component of essential, three essentials, is love for one another. A gospel-centered church is a community of love. And after he mentions your faith in Christ Jesus, Paul says, the love you have for all the saints, all the believers. So we need to be clear on the difference between the new commandment and the new covenant. Jesus gave the new covenant. And the old covenant and old central command of love your neighbor as yourself. There are similarities. Obviously, similarity is don't be selfish. Don't look into yourself. Don't be so introspective of your life and your interests, your family, your kids. No, love others. But there is a difference. Number one, among the saints, one another first. Here is a reason why. The new comment, uh, c- command Jesus gave us was a, a reflection of community of God, uh, the Holy Trinity loving one another, the perfect unity and harmony. That was supposed to be the example of our love for one another. Then the world outside will see the radically different love. And thirdly, Christ's love is not just an example and model, but it is our motivation. If we look at what, how Christ loved us, that motivates us, empowers us, and He gave us His, his Spirit for us to love beyond our natural Abilities. So, as a result of this love, the world will know that we belong to Christ, that we are His disciples.
the practical question comes again, how then shall we live out our lives as a community of love? There are several passages, and this is still very um, charging to me and important and yet sensitive for our community. I really need you to hear me out. There are three passages I've chosen. John 13, verse 1. John 13, verse 14. And 1 John 3, 16. Let's read the whole thing together. Um, When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. That's the first way we are to love each other. Verse 14, and this is what happened the night before his crucifixion in Gethsemane. And Jesus stood up and he started washing disciples' feet. And this, is not, this was not a ceremony. Their, de- their feet was literally dirty and smelly. And as the master and teacher and Lord of those 12 disciples, he washed their feet and said, verse 14, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. By this, and the verse uh, the uh, first letter of John, verse 3.16, is a reflection of John 3.16, how God loved us. First letter of John, this is a divine coincidence, I guess, says this, By this we know love, that he laid, he laid, his, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Um, sorry about that. Okay, I think I'm missing the notes here. Um, but I remember the importance of loving one another. It's um, naturally difficult. If our church was large enough, we could get along better. Why? Because if you don't, uh, don't like someone or uh, frictions there, you could go to first service and you know he goes to third service or second service, and vice versa. But our church is small. You can't. Can't go anywhere. The only thing is go to another church. Extreme case, people might be doing it. So natural tendencies, you know, uh, porcupine dance, like porcupines are getting lonely and cold, and they try to get together and closer, and they poke each other 
oh, I need to stay away. We do that all the time, right? But practically, I, I need to mention a few things. Uh, number one, we need, to we need to love one another with perpetual commitment as Jesus has done to the end. And I, I think the encouragement for us is that uh, the way we do our church with face-to-face -face community, obviously the conflict's you know, inevitable. But the choice is, as Christ followers, are we going to give up on our relationship with each other? Or are we continually, perpetually, Commit to love one another. Brothers and sisters, I long for the day that our perpetual commitment will bear fruit. In the meantime, remember the life we live in the flesh. Flesh means we are still sinful nature. You could annoy people. I mean, let me take my example. Let me be vulnerable. Some, some, there are some things that you're annoyed by me. I know that. And even this, the structural way of going through this, oh, it's a pulse anal. Guess what? I'm annoyed by my own self. There are things that I cannot stand, but I cannot change. That's the nature of human community. You get close to anybody you, whom you desire, I mean, desire to be close to be, as your hero, heroine. The closer, closer you get, you will see the flaw, the shortcomings. Oh, I wish I didn't know that side of him, of her. And that will deny, really, the reality of Christian life. Uh, it kind of overlaps. I, I, let, let me mention the second thing. Foot washing law. Forbearing law. When you think about washing others' food, feet, it's a dirty part, smelly part, right? When you think about my dirty part in terms of my personality, temperament, and character, shortcomings, uh, I know that, you know, Paul needs to grow in that and or relax on that, or whatever that is. Just imagine kneeling down and washing that side. Same eye, same, same, in the same way, tables are turned, and I look at my brother and my sister, and kneeling down, instead of turning away, oh, that smells, I can't stand it. Or even gather together with some people that agree with that smelly part of that certain person, then talk about it in such a way that we embrace it and wash patiently.
And then third and last one, to the end, the perpetual commitment, forbearing love, and the third one is sacrificial love. This is the part that de- departs from love yourself. Love your, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Meaning that, oh, I should not be selfish. Unselfish love. But what Christ does done is far beyond that. Going way beyond that. Going all out to, to lay, his, lay down his life for us. Sacrificial love. When someone sacrifices himself or herself in love, we feel tremendously impacted by love. And I'm going to share Don Carlos' story. Uh, Missionary Lee, Charles Lee, who used to be elder when I was 16, 17-year-old kid in that church. Even back then, I respected him. But this time, when I, as I arrived, because of his infection in the brain, he's limping, he's lost 30 more pounds or so, and he's very weak. But the way that he carries himself, he's like, he's a weak, mur- weak, weak man. But as time passes by, every supernatural thing's happening is com- comes back to his impact. His kids, the students, his teachers, his Mayan people, all of those. Because of his gentleness, his forbearing spirit. There was a one moment there was an annoyance happening big time. Not only to, to our, our team together, but to me especially as a pastor. But the way Missionary Lee carried himself, genuinely forbearing this brother. I, I, I felt so humble. And because of him, I was able to be gentle with the brother. Brothers and sisters, I'm very proud of our community. But this year, has, past year, has been a very difficult year because so many conflicts. But listen to the voice of God. Never give up. Loving the brother. Loving the sister. Pray with hope that he will, God will restore a loving, harmony-filled church within us. And through that test, the world will know that we are true church. We are the disciples of Christ. The notes that I'm missing, you will get it when you uh, when you get the parse part point. One thing I distinctly remember is we need to remember love is not just a mere feelings, but action and serving and sacrifice. That's how Christ loved us. So instead of waiting for the feelings to come, 
What will you do to go out and sacrifice? I, I don't know. Our team is overflowing with joy. Uh, get one aspect, there are many things, but uh, missionary Mary Lee, she loved us coming back. That, that Mayan uh, community and that Yucatan, where we stayed was Izamal, Yucatan, known for honey. She gave us so many bottles of honey. And basically, Irene's bag was emptied when we bring some gifts for them. And it was all filled. I was worried about overweight. And she did take out of three, three bottles. But what ended up happening is we have so many, so many honey. So many bottles of honey. So our team is discussing in all this thread, email thread. What shall we do? And they said, I'll give you, we'll give you extra one. I said, my mom and my brother lives together. I know they're, fa- you know, they know my family. So they don't need two bottles. So basically, basically what hap- what's going to happen in uh, February 1st when you come, Irene bought small bottles like this, 72 of them. If you come, you're going to get Yucatan honey from us. I need to uh, finish this succinctly but without hurry because this is so important. The last essential is hope laid in heaven. Um, And notice that this hope is not just a third matter because it kind of comes along with the triad, but it is a foundation of the other two. Jesus said, I mean, Apostle Paul said, because of hope laid up for you in heaven, you have faith in Christ and you have love for all the saints. Hope is about the invisible thing. The things that will accomplish by God's sovereign plan, including our sinful sin-ridden body, imperfect body, because of that we know each other, we will one day have glorified body and we will no longer with sin anymore. We will receive Christ's reward for all the believers. If that is really true, lasting hope, we could continue trusting Christ, live by faith, and we could love one another. If this is not where our Christian life, our church life is based on false hope. But this is the important thing. What the culture tells us, our, the, the world in which we live is now. We need to experience God's blessing now. Focusing on the visible things. So we might not pursue the, this prosperity gospel, but we could, in a spectrum of the prosperity faith, 
if we are focusing on prosperity, uh, if we are focusing on the God doing visible things for us, our faith will be on earth. Things that are happening with our family members and our, fam- our business and our kids. In the midst of suffering, can we rejoice? Yes, Bible said, because hope laid in heaven, not on earth. And as we speak, we need to pray for Linda's dad who collapsed this morning. And they are not here because of that reason. What might go through their heart? A lot of sufferings, anxiousness, the cancer finally taken over. What's going on? But we could rejoice in the midst of this pain. Loving one another, trust in Christ together. Practically, uh, Colossians 3, verse 2 through 5, helps us to guide to the practical steps in it. Let me read it quickly. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden, in, hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So to live with hope, to, to be alive with hope as a Christian community, we need to seek the things above. One of the most common misunderstandings about this passage is seek the things above, not on earth. Oh. Seek the religious things. Think about listening to Christian music, listening to Christian radio, uh, read Christian magazine, read, read, come to the Christian gatherings, all the religious things. This is not it. You could be a absolute religious fanatic but disobey this passage seek the things above means in the three ways seek not religious things but Christ values and holiness different kind of life and that's why verse 5 even spells it out this is how you seek the things above put to death Therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. And then we could think about, you know, our own life is judgmentalism, gossip, pride. Put away those things. That's what seek the things above, not seek the things on on earth. And secondly, key word in seeking the things above and living by hope is endurance. Without hope, you cannot endure. But with hope, you could sustain your faith long-suffering. And Romans 5 says, actually, our suffering produces hope. Endurance produces hope. 
So the question that I have for each one of us as we wrap up, would you live your life in a community of faith, love, and hope? John Stott summarizes so succinctly, eloquently, I cannot do better. Stott writes, faith is directed towards God, love towards others, both within the Christian fellowship and beyond it, and the hope towards the future, in particular the glorious coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Similarly, faith rests of the past, love works in the present, hope looks to the future. Every Christian without exception is a believer, a lover, and a hoper, not necessarily an optimist, since optimism is a matter of temperament, the hope of theology. Faith, hope, and love are thus sure evidences of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Together, they completely reorient our lives as we find ourselves being drawn up towards God in faith, out towards others in love, and on towards to the parousia in hope. Parousia is, in Greek word, the coming of the Lord, second coming of the Lord. Because this the, uh, quote, the excerpt came from his commentary on First Thessalonians. The new birth means little or nothing if it does not pull us out of our fallen introversion and redirect us towards God, Christ, and our fellow human beings. Brothers and sisters, let's be a community of love, faith, and hope together this year. And I, I, I am I'm looking forward to the fruit after our long sufferings and under the God's sovereign provision and purpose of pruning us, including my life. He will turn our dance the, the morning to dancing. Let's pray. Father, thank you again, your word and your scripture guidance for us. Make us to be people of faith, love, and hope. A community of love, faith, and hope. And we pray that this year will be a year that we would experience the blossoming fruits of the works of faith, the labor of love, and steadfastness of our hope in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.